Oh, how I wish you would come. I'm waiting for you to come. We're waiting. We're waiting for you to come and do what only you can do. Emancipate us from our exile. Liberate us from our captivity. We thought that we were free. We thought that after we had returned from 70 years in Babylonian exile, that we would finally be a free people, finally be liberated and emancipated. But no. No, the Babylonians came and they left, and then the Persians came and they left, and then the Greeks came and they left, and now Rome has come, and they're not going anywhere. And here we are, 500 years later, we have been, we've been out of exile, and yet we are still in exile. God's people waiting, waiting for one who will come and do what only he can do, liberate us. Oh God, when? When will you come? When will you release us? And that's when he spoke to me. That's when he, by his spirit, said, Simeon, I have called you. I have designated you. I have chosen you to be the one, to be my servant watchman. To behold the one who will come and who will release my people, Israel, the consolation. I will bring comfort through my servant, but you will be my servant watchman. And you will behold the glory of the Lord as you have never beheld before. I tell you this, Simeon, you will not see death until you see the coming of my chosen one. Until then, you just stay. Wait. I am calling you to a vocation of anticipation. I am calling you to a holy wait as you anticipate the coming of my salvation. You stay here in this temple where you will await the coming of the true temple. You come to this place of mediation where you will behold the one who is the ultimate mediator. That is... That's my calling to you, Simeon. That's my calling for you. You come and you wait. And so, I said, Lord, I am here. I will be your servant watchman. I will come to your holy place and await your holy one. And, and so while I'm here, I mean, well, what can I do to serve you while I wait? To wait for me is to serve me. Yes. Would you like me to teach? Well, people need to be taught. I mean, would you like me to teach? How about if while I wait, I teach? I have called you to wait. There are others who will teach. Well, how about delivering food to the hungry? How about that? Would you like for me to do that while I wait? I can do that. I have others for that, Simeon. Well, God, I just want to do great things for you. 
And the great thing that I have asked you to do is to wait. For to wait is to serve me. To wait is to serve me. To wait is to serve me. Well, what if I want to serve you in another way? I have not called you to serve me in any other way. I have called you to wait. To wait is to serve. Well, why'd you call me to do that? And he said, nothing. Lord, why did you call me to do that? Silence. He just looked at me with a loving gaze. And so here I am. I want to do something. I want to fix something. I want to repair something. I mean, it's just in me to want to do that, to do, to do. But he has not called me to that. He has called me to this vocation of patient anticipation. He has called me to a long obedience where I will stay in a set place for a season of time and await the arrival of the Holy One who is the only one who can do anything, who is the only one who can fix what needs to be fixed, who is the only one who can repair what is broken in this world. God will send His chosen one who is the fulfillment of the prophet's promise and who, is, who will come to reverse the effects of Eden. Who will come to reverse the scattering of the Tower of Babel where the nations and the languished scattered all over? He will regather all people from all tribes and all nations and all communities into one holy community, one holy kingdom. He who is the mediator of all will He who is the high priest of all will create a kingdom of priests through whom his glory would spread throughout the entire universe for his honor and his splendor and his majesty. And he has called me to await the arrival of that one who will do only what he can do. And so here I am. I've come dependably, consistently, patiently, anonymously, namelessly, I've come in a crowd of people who don't know why I've come. I've come not before an audience of thousands, but an audience of one. This calling, this vocation of anticipation, here I am and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. To wait is the essence of hope for who hopes for what he already has. To wait is to realize that this world is broken. To wait is to realize that this world can't be fixed by humans. To wait is to realize that we are on the inside of a sealed door that can only be opened from the outside. To wait is to behold a future. To wait is to realize that we are under the sovereign care of a sovereign king. To wait is to see that I belong to that sovereign king. To wait is to wonder, what will this king do and when will he do it? To wait is to realize that I belong to this king and if his desire is for me to come to this place and wait 
patiently for his arrival, his splendor, his glory. I will do that because I realize this. Israel's comfort, Israel's consolation, Israel's hope. Well, I need this chosen one. I need comfort. I need hope. I need what only the Holy One can give. Israel's consolation does not simply belong to Israel. He's for me. He is for me. I need my sins forgiven. And so I wait in eager anticipation. For to wait is to serve. Oh my. A couple. She's holding a baby. Oh God, your word is true. Your word is true. You are the meaning of my name, Simeon. God has heard. I will go to them. I can die. I will go to them. Well, it is finally here. Christmas is here. And uh, we are starting our Christmas and Advent season here. I trust that you all had a nice Thanksgiving. What we do is we have a super holiday, and we combine them together and have Thanksmas. Um, because there are so many Craigs that are spread throughout the world to make you know, the world a much better place. Uh, you know, in, in, in Florida, Kentucky, here, Kiwani, Illinois, where my parents live, it's, uh, it's nice to just come together uh, one time is, is enough. Uh, I love my family. I love them to death. But I also love the comfort of my bed. Um, it's, you know, a full-size bed is squeaky. It's not good. And so uh, I, I love being with my family. I love being there for Thanksgiving. But now it's time to get on to Christmas. And if you have been in Hobby Lobby since July, Christmas has been happening there as well. Um, it was a little crazy going in there and going, hey, uh, your Christmas decorations are still up. I sh- I'm sure I'm not the first one to tell you this. It's it's July, and uh, they're like, actually, our Christmas decorations are a little late this year. And I'm like, sure they are. Yeah, I bet. And so she, they started setting up for Christmas at Hobby Lobby in July. Christmas is here. I'm excited about it. Are you excited about Christmas being here? It's a fun time of the year. Snow comes. It's great. It's a lot of fun. And here, as we start this Advent season, this Christmas season here at Windsor Road, we start with hope. We start with hope. It's not a hope that we have in ourselves. It's a hope that we have in Jesus. And sometimes it can seem impossible to see hope in our world today. Whether it's 10,000 miles away or whether it's 200 miles away, hope can seem pretty distant sometimes. Through sickness, death, violence, we tend to hold blinders to hope And magnify the hurt. Sometimes I feel that we are giving too much attention to the ongoing work of Satan rather than the finished work of our Savior. 
I'm not talking about turning a blind eye to our world's pain and our world's hurt. I'm talking about turning a focused eye through the only redeeming and conquering and confident hope that we have in Jesus. But in order for us to understand the hope of Jesus, we have to understand our hopelessness first. Hope is the remedy. Hopelessness is the sickness. You and I have that. Isaiah 59 talks about sin. If we're going to understand our hopelessness, we have to understand that it is rooted in our sinfulness. And Isaiah 59 just spells it out throughout this entire chapter of all of the things that we do wrong. It's a really fun chapter to read. Very uplifting. He talks about the things that we say, the things that we don't say, the things that we do, the things that we don't do. He talks about our words, our hearts, our thoughts. He goes through all of the iniquities, as he calls them. And I love, in in 59 verse 2, he says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. This separation that we build between us and God is built by us. It's not built by unrealistic expectations. It's built by us. Imagine for a moment, if you will, God on this side over here and us on this side over here. Our sins, our sinfulness is building a separation between us and God. Building it to the point where sometimes we feel like we can't even see God anymore. We're lost and captured into our own thoughts, into our own wants, into our own desires, and we can't even see God anymore. This separation of sin that we have building up for us is not just separating us from God, but it is also separating us to our sins. Our sins kidnap our thoughts, divert our desires, and distort our words. This separation that we are building eventually becomes a grave. And it is a grave that holds no hope if we want to understand the hope of Jesus, we have to first understand our hopelessness. A grave that holds no hope is ours. But then Jesus comes as the Savior, as the Deliverer, as the hope. Simeon saw him. He goes and embraces the family, embraces Jesus, speaks a blessing over them, and then goes on his way because this is what he was supposed to do, to wait until he had seen the child, until he had seen the Redeemer, until he had seen the hope of mankind. Jesus comes to take away these iniquities, these separations that we have built between us and God. He comes to take those away. He comes to even take away the grave that we have built for ourselves that is meant for us. He comes to take away that grave that holds no hope.
And while that grave holds no hope, it certainly does not hold my Savior. It holds me. It traps me. But it does not hold, it does not trap Jesus. He breaks that away. So that we may have hope. Our hope rests in one. And while our hope rests in Jesus, the news of this hope is not meant to be kept to ourselves. It's meant to be shared. Imagine, if you will, for me, just a second, just go on this tangent with me real quick. It's, it's just a short on-ramp because I'm not a detailed person. Short on-ramp. The Cubs win the World Series. I'm telling everybody. I am so excited about it. I'm jumping up and down. My Facebook is just, I've I've got everything on there about it. I am telling absolutely everybody I can about this most exciting thing that's happened to me. I imagine what, what was Simeon's response after leaving the temple that day? What is his manner? What is his behavior? What is his attitude as he is leaving the temple that day? Do you think he's, he's leaving with this, with this long-awaited anticipation of the newborn Messiah? And he's leaving. Do you think he's keeping that to himself? No. Do you think he's keeping that inside? Is that an experience or a hope that he keeps to himself? I can only imagine his excitement, his joy, the anticipation of waiting for this Messiah to come, and he's here. I can only imagine the way Simeon was when he left. The excitement, the joy, it makes me wonder where where has our excitement gone? Where has our joy gone? Is our cup not overflowing enough that we can fill others? If you've been to church before, you know that Jesus is the hope. And if you have asked him to live inside of you, you understand this hope. What happened to our excitement, our joy? That's why I love working with our kindergarten through fourth graders. The joy and excitement that they have about church about Jesus. When our kids come back from our Got Jesus class that we do, they are on fire about the Lord. They can't wait to tell me everything that they've learned about. What happened to our passion? What happened to our desire to share this with the world? Andy Stanley wrote recently in a book called Deep and Wide, he says, we as humans are the only entity with the responsibility of presenting the gospel. That's on us. We are the only ones responsible of presenting the gospel. If we have truly encountered the hope of Jesus, then it should be contagious to everyone we come in contact with. As Isaiah 59 spells out all of our iniquities, Isaiah 60 is a little more uplifting In fact, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He's very specific here. He does not say, Arise and go about your day. And maybe, maybe if we if we find that little that little pocket of Jesus, we can we can share that with somebody. No, he says, Arise and shine. You and I both know this world is a dark place. 
I want it to be a little brighter for my kids. I want to teach them to be this light that shines. Because we have the hope. We have hope in Jesus. The rest of the world needs it. It craves it, and I believe the world wants hope. I believe deep down in everyone's soul that they don't want violence, they don't want disease, they don't want death. But they want hope. Sometimes I'll share with our kids upstairs that you might be the only Christian that somebody ever meets. And if we miss that opportunity to share hope, then we've missed everything. This morning as we have families together, our kindergarten through 12th graders are in together, we're going to do communion together as well. So here in a few moments, we've got communion trays spread throughout the room. We want you to go as a family. But before you do, I've, I've had this, this song that's kind of been continuing to pour out into everything that I've done this week. I've woke up humming it, and I normally don't do that. Growing up in, with a worship minister as, as a dad, I, I kind of hummed a lot of songs as a kid. You can imagine every, every kid's choir, every puppet choir. I said puppet choir. <laughs> Love my father. A bell choir. You grow up with all kinds of music ringing through your mind. And in the 80s and 90s, hymns were the popular choice of our church. And so this hymn kept creeping into my mind this entire week. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less. Anything less than Jesus is not worth putting our hope in. Our jobs, our relationships, our status, our possessions, our experiences, all of these will fall short. But the redeeming, the conquering, and the confident hope that we have only in Jesus is a hope that does not stand still, but stands strong. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And as we prepare our hearts to go to his table this morning, maybe that's something we're, we're humming. Maybe that's something that's ringing in our hearts and our minds. Where does your hope lie? How are you sharing that with the world? Let's pray.